Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Sebastian and I am here with Jennifer. Hello. And welcoming back to the podcast, Rodney. Hello. Welcome. Uh, welcome back. Uh, thank you for having me back. I mean, <laughs> I'm starting to think it's my podcast now. <laughs> well, it's the Halloween season, so we're doing horror movies, and we can't talk horror without Rodney because Rodney is the co-host of the Pod Forsaken Horror Podcast. Uh, any recommendations this week for our listeners, Rodney? Well, actually, I'll just tell you, we are, by the time this episode is out, we will have released our top 10 best underseen horror films of all time list. So oh, nice. you should nice. come just check out that episode. And we each did 10. So you'll get, you'll get 30 different movies you probably haven't seen. I'm assuming Lamora, A Child's Tale of the Supernatural, is on that list, right? Those were actually numbers 10 through 2 for me. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, like, I had to keep insisting over and over. Well, we're not here to talk about those movies. We're here to talk about Halloween 2, and not the 1981 Halloween 2, directed by Rick Rosenthal and written by John Carpenter, but the 2009 Halloween 2, directed by Rob Zombie, which is a sequel to his 2007 remake of Halloween. Oh, is it too late to talk about the other one? No, Rodney, it's not. Let's talk about the other one. We can do it. <laughs> no, no, no. We're in zombie town for this discussion of Halloween 2. Now, Rodney, you've got to be a fan of the Halloween franchise, right? I am. I am a fan. I'm not going to tell you I'm the biggest fan, but I do love the Halloween movies in general. Like, 
you know, there are some that are better than others, obviously. Jennifer, I know you're not that big of a fan of the Halloween franchise. Wait, really? That, just hold up here a minute. Now, we're not going to say I'm not that big of a fan of the entire franchise. There's certain movies that I just don't really like to revisit. But there are certain films in the franchise that I do enjoy revisiting. And as mentioned previously on this podcast, I get to revisit all of them every year with my husband. That's right, because I am a fan of the Halloween franchise. I would say that despite my better judgment, the Halloween franchise is probably my favorite slasher franchise. And I say that fully recognizing that it is inferior in many ways to the other big slasher franchises. It's inferior in terms of average quality to the Friday the 13th franchise. I think you could say that while maybe the highs aren't as high as the Halloween franchise, the Friday the 13th films are kind of more consistently at a certain level. I would say it's not nearly as imaginative, say, as the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And obviously Michael Myers is not the sort of charismatic villain that Freddy Krueger is. But I really just have an affinity for the series. I really love the character of Michael Myers, if you can even call him a character, a.k.a. The Shape. He's just my guy. Like, there was the first slasher movie that I ever saw. It was the first slasher movie series that I was ever sort of interested in seeing the next one. I enjoy... Most of the movies, to some degree, there's only one that I flat out hate and feel that it is an abomination. And I feel that it is the worst major slasher sequel of any of the franchises. And that is... Part three. No. (laughs) That is Halloween uh, Resurrection. That one is absolute dog shit. Trick or treat, motherfucker. When Busta Rhymes kills Michael Myers at the end of your movie, you know you've done something terribly wrong. But we're not discussing that movie today. We're discussing Rob Zombie's sequel to his remake of Halloween. Now, Rodney, how do you feel about the Rob Zombie remake of Halloween? And how do you feel about Rob Zombie in general? Oh, was I supposed to watch Halloween 1? Would that have helped this make more sense? You didn't have to. It was not a prerequisite. In general, I would say I have a complicated feeling toward Rob Zombie. I like him overall, right? Like, I, I appreciate that he's out there making what I would call sleazy films, right? And I got to give say he's incredibly imaginative, right? Like, in general, when he makes a movie, I show up. And yet, I feel like almost everything he makes is kind of bad, right? But there's great genius to be found. And I appreciate that specifically for his Halloween one. I'm overall a fan. I think he did a really good job. I do think it's so dumb to not introduce Laurie Strode until like halfway through the film and like make it so much about Michael Myers as a kid and grow. Like I just, I keep trying to say to myself, Rodney, Rodney, just like look at it. Like it's its own thing. Like you've never seen the other Halloweens. But even by the standard rules of like storytelling, that's a weird way to tell a story, you know? But once Michael Myers breaks out of the asylum in Halloween 1, that's a cool movie. He made a cool movie. That's how I feel about it. I also have a complicated relationship with Rob Zombie because I do like some of his films. I actually really 
do like he and Sherry Moon as people. It's funny because I was thinking about this earlier and it's like sometimes you have to separate art from the artist when you don't like the artist, but you like the art, you know, mm -hmm. um, like in Polanski's case or something like that, you know, where you're, you're having to separate it. But I do like Rob and Sherry Moon as people. I think they, you know, they're big animal rights people and they, they do a lot of good things for rescue and whatnot. So I, I like them. The, the way that I describe how I feel after watching Rob Zombie films is just gross. Yeah, yeah Like, exactly. so I'm glad <laughs> I just feel gross. And it's not like in the way of like gross as far as like, you know, the splatter effect of uh, what, like an Evil Dead or um, Herschel Gordon Lewis or something like that, you know, where it's just like gory. The characters that he has, and he does it so well, he just like can get the scummiest of scum, gross things to happen. And there's, there's an art to that. And I, I appreciate it, but I just feel gross. I don't feel good. I do show up for him too. I've seen most of his films in the theater also. And um how I felt about his version of Halloween, which I did see Halloween and Halloween 2, both in the theater. I remember liking Halloween and not so much with Halloween 2. And I don't know, like I, I maybe it's things have changed a little bit now over time, but my biggest, you know, complaint is especially with we just rewatched Halloween his his version is it's so damn long. Yeah. Like, it's so long. So, you know, there's that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not mad that he's doing what he's doing, and he's got a thing, and it's just, you know, it's an acquired taste, I guess. All three of us have complicated relationships <laughs> with Rob Zombie. I've never had any use for his music, though I don't really hate it. I think he does what he does cool. Like, obviously, he yeah. has an appeal, and if that's what you're into then you're going to get it from him. He's kind of the ACDC of industrial metal or whatever, because I feel like all of his songs sort of sound the same. But, you know, I've dug a couple of them. Dragula's kind of cool. Living Dead mm -hmm. Girl's kind of cool. So I don't hate him, but I don't really love his music or anything. His movies, I can appreciate what he's going for. Let's face it. Rob Zombie has been trying to remake Texas Chainsaw Massacre his entire film career. Like, I feel like almost every movie he's made, aside from maybe Lords of Salem, which was trying to be like a sleazy Shining or something, it's almost like he's always trying to make the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, that's what he wants so bad, is to capture what Toby Hooper captured in that movie, that sort of sleaziness. And he's so clearly obsessed with this whole sort of white trash culture. And he grew up in Massachusetts, not far from where I grew up. And like his brother, Spider, who ended up in that band, Power Man 5000, was like somebody who was sort of in the scene. And I knew people in that band and we were all kind of like whatever about them. And then they became huge for a minute. But I know where he's from and he is not from white trash world. He's from normal... Massachusetts suburbia and so this is all just sort of an affectation that he's all just oh yeah everything's gonna be all white trash and whatever so like it gets a little old like I would have been fine with that for a couple of movies but my problem with his version of Halloween is that he takes the Michael Meyer myth and just throws white trash onto it so hard as if that's going to explain why this kid becomes like the most vicious murderer of all time, you know, 
with the ridiculous dialogue. I'm going to come over there and skull fuck you, bitch, or whatever. <laughs> like as if any human being in the world talks like that. I mean, it's so over the top and it's delivered with this sort of seriousness that I kind of can't handle. You know, I also think it's fucking ridiculous to try to take Michael Myers and deconstruct him into a real person because that defeats the whole purpose. But whatever, judging the movie on its own terms, if that's what you're going to do, I'll go along with it. The problem with that movie, and I think that Rodney hit it, is structurally, it is a disaster. You've got this yeah. really long opening, this way too long at the asylum. Like, that goes on for, like, 30 Forever. minutes. And then at the end, once things kind of start getting good and it becomes a slasher movie, when he's chasing Laurie around that the Myers house, that goes on and on and on and on. And it's like... Dude, this movie is already way too long for a horror movie, and now you're dragging this out. Maybe the theatrical was tighter or whatever. But, yeah, I just feel like that movie is a total mess. I will say the actual filmmaking of it, though, I don't object to. I think that he has a kind of interesting eye. I think he's a good filmmaker. I think Rob Zombie's Achilles heel is that he cannot write. And I think if Rob Zombie could let go of his ego, work with somebody who's a really good writer, like me, for instance. <laughs> the writer of portals? <laughs> the writer of portals. No. I feel like that's what every writer is saying when they criticize somebody's writing. I think if Rob Zombie worked with a really kick-ass writer, he could make a really kick-ass movie. But Halloween 2007 was like a big hit. And so he basically got carte blanche from Dimension to go make a sequel. And he did whatever he fucking wanted. And that's kind of what I appreciate about this movie. Now, Rodney, you'd seen this before this podcast, right? Yeah, I saw Halloween 2 when it was in theaters just the one time. This is my second time seeing it. Now, Jen, I know for a fact you've seen this probably more times than you've ever wanted to because I make you watch it every year. But you saw it originally in the theater too. Do you remember what your feelings were back then? Well, yeah, I do. And I think I saw it by myself because nobody else wanted to go see Halloween too. And I remember not liking it as much as I liked uh, the first Halloween that he did when I saw it back then in the theater. I also saw this one alone in the theater because no one wanted to see it with me. It's too bad we didn't know each other back then because we could have been shyly holding hands in the theater. <laughs> But I had not seen the his remake of Halloween in the theater. I had uh, seen it on video, and I didn't like it. But I was like, hmm, I'm kind of interested in this Halloween, too. And so I did see it in the theater, and I actually liked it in my initial viewing with some caveats. But I was like, huh, that was kind of interesting. Can I just say that I really did not like it when I saw it in theaters? Okay. And I think the listeners at home should know that, like, the version we're all talking about is Halloween to the unrated cut. Yes. Which has been like slightly re-edited by Rob Zombie. Yes. So I don't know if my difference of opinion is based on those changes. You know what I mean? I liked it more the second time, but I don't know if I watched the theatrical cut again, would I still think it's garbage? I acquired a copy of the theatrical cut and I sort of went through it before we watched the director's cut 
though the only version you can get basically in the states you can only get the theatrical on like a canadian disc i didn't watch every minute of it but i sort of scrolled through it i looked online and saw the scenes that i knew were going to be different so i sort of scrolled through it and watched them so i know what's different about it and there's a very specific reason why the theatrical is different than the director's cut cool but to be fair most of the movie i watched seemed like the same movie. There were a couple things that I was like, this feels new, but in general, it basically is the same movie I remember. It basically comes down to editing. There's a few little scenes that are different in the theatrical, but it's mostly scenes are cut shorter in the theatrical. So why don't we get into Halloween 2? The movie starts with a flashback to Smith's Grove Sanitarium where we get Sherry Moon Zombie visiting young Michael Myers. He's not played by the same kid who played him in uh, the original. That was like Dag Ferk. But now he's played by the equally pronounceable name Chase Vanek. He's just some kid. He's never been seen before again. He's pretty terrible in this movie, I would have to say, but I also think that he's being sort of directed to give a very sort of flat and dead performance, so I wouldn't put the whole blame on this kid. But Sherry Moon is playing uh, Mrs. Myers or whatever, and she's visiting him, Deborah Myers, and she gives him a little horse statue as a gift. And I should say, the movie opens with the definition of white horse it's like a what it's meaning in like in dreams psychological or something yeah like it's like i i literally do not remember but something like white horses represent your internal rage and desire to break free or something and i'm paraphrasing yeah and making that up but something like that the movie literally opens with those words on screen i remember being in the theater being like why is Halloween 2 starting with a definition of white horses? <laughs> and man, by like 20 minutes in, I was like, okay, I get it now. Well, and when I saw that, I was like, all right, we're in for it. Cause that is pretentious <laughs> as fuck. Yeah. It's really pretentious, man. But yeah. So she's giving him this horse statue and he says, oh, this reminds me of a dream that I had that you were in and you were with a horse. And we're going to see that image played throughout the movie many, many times of Sherry Moon in a white dress with a horse. My favorite thing about watching it this time was our dog Annie, who is obsessed with horses, and like will run over to the screen when there's a horse on TV, actually reacted to the toy horse. It was pretty amazing. It was really? like, and I, I got a picture of it. She ran over and put her paws up on the thing. It was like right up on the TV for the toy horse. So that was delightful. The beginning doesn't even count. It's 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 stupid. In fact, I really thought Sherry Moon Zombie died in part one. She did. She did. How is she visiting the hospital? She kills herself later when he's in the hospital at a certain yeah. point she like she's watching like home movies and crying and she shoots herself. Oh, yeah, okay. Cuz I know in this movie they say she killed herself. Yes. I just thought he killed his mother as part of the killing spree in part 1. No. But no. clearly, you know, like uh, that's that's my fault for not remembering, right? Look, I'll I'll tell you. I remember someone posted on Facebook my new favorite meme and it's a poster of like Jaws, like the Jaws poster. But it says Rob Zombie's Jaws and the shark is actually Sherry Moon Zombie, right? (laughs) And it's just like, dude, I get it that she's your wife. Can you stop putting her in your movies, dude? Like, please stop. Just someone else. It wouldn't be so bad except that he miscasts her for things, you know? Like, she could be fine in certain roles, but he puts her in every major female part. And she just can't cut it. 
That's the problem. It's not that she can't be used well. It's that he doesn't use her well because he just uses her for everything. But to me, like, whatever, this opening scene is is not really the movie. The little kid's okay. I, it's just like, I don't want to watch this little kid talking to Sherry Moon Zombie. Like, let's get on with the killing. One thing I'll say about the movie that you sort of notice right away is he shot it in 16 millimeter and like super 16 and blew it up. So it has this sort of grainy look to it, which I actually kind of like. Yeah, I agree. It, it helps give it that dirty feeling. Yep. I like it too. So after that, we go right into the aftermath of Halloween, his remake. We have our Laurie Strode, who is played by Scout Taylor Compton. And she is wandering around in shock after having killed Michael Myers, we think. And one thing that I noticed right away is this movie was shot in Georgia, not Pasadena, where he shot his original version because he was trying to honor the original Halloween. I don't know why he chose to honor it in that way. That seems like a silly way to try to honor John Carpenter's movie by shooting it in the same location that doesn't look like a Midwestern town, but whatever. So now he's shooting it in Georgia. So this version of Haddonfield looks nothing like the version of Haddonfield that we saw in his remake. And it's even funnier when we go to like the Myers house at one point, because it's like completely like a totally different house that there's not even houses on either side of it. So it's like there's no continuity whatsoever other than all the same actors returning. But she's walking down the street and a police car pulls up and in it is Sheriff Lee Brackett, played by the great Brad Dourif. I have to say Brad Dourif is the best performance in both Rob Zombie's Halloween movies. Bar none. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Brad Dourif is the only, um, spoiler, the only character that I really care about in this film. That's fair. I wish we just had more Brad Dourif movies in general. Like, I wish he was in more, like, legit big movies. I know Lord of the Rings, but besides that, like, he's good. Yeah. No, he brings it in both these movies, which is really kind of surprising because I feel like a lot of the other performances are pitched at a totally like crazier level. Most notably, Dr. Sam Loomis, as played <laughs> by Malcolm McDowell, he is like over the top in this movie. And he's kind of a little over the top in the first movie, but it's obviously they're doing something with his character in this movie and like pushing him in this direction. But like if you compare his performance to Brad Dourif, and they're both these sort of veteran guys, you know what I mean? So you've got these two kind of powerhouses, and they share some scenes together. And the whole time, I'm like, God, Brad Dourif is just killing it, and Malcolm McDowell is just being ridiculously over the top. I just love Malcolm McDowell, though, So, and I just am happy to see him here. So it's like, I'm fine with that. But yeah, he is, he is, he's ridiculous. But it's Malcolm McDowell, so it's okay with me. Yeah, no, and I'm not slamming his performance. He's just gobbling up scenery like it's yeah. <laughs> you know, going out of style. Yes. How do you feel about our Laurie Strode, Scout Taylor Compton, Rodney? I overall like her. First of all, I can't tell if I know her from anything else. Like, she seems like a new face to me, other than obviously Halloween 1. It's the same actress, right? Yes. I think she does a good job. I think her character in this version is, like, pretty angry. Very angry, I would say. But I also get that, like, what happened to her is, like, one of the most horrific things you could imagine. Like, I have no idea what I would be like if I was, like, hunted all night long by, like, a madman who nearly killed me. You know what I mean? I don't know. I I have complicated feelings. I don't think she's a bad actress. I think she is doing a good job in this. 
I just think her character is kind of keeping you at arm's length. It's the only reason you're with her is because you feel bad that she did almost get murdered. It's a fine performance. I, nothing against her as an actor. And I also, Rodney, I can't recall seeing her in anything else other than the, the first Halloween, um, at, at least at this point when I had first seen it. And yeah, that being said, I don't know how I would react or how I would be acting after going through the trauma that she did. But I just don't, I just don't really like her. It's just really, she, like, your best friend lived from the first film, which usually that doesn't happen in these slasher type movies. Like, you got to keep Annie. You're living with Annie and her dad. And, like, you're just an ungrateful mess. And, you know, again, you know, I don't know how I would be after going through this, but she's just really hard to deal with. Like, she's just kind of all over the place. And I'm just like, these people took you in. It's hard to like her, I guess. Maybe that's the point. I, yeah, I think that is the point. And I, I think that the thing about Rob Zombie is that he is not interested in presenting you with likable characters. Yeah. He said that. Yeah. Like, he's come straight out and said that. He's like, I find nice people boring. I'm not interested in them. He just does not give a fuck about that. And that's something that he's come up against, I think, in a lot of his movies. And he came up against it in this movie is, like, the producers and stuff were like, Lori is unlikable. And so... One of the things that you see in the theatrical is a lot of these scenes are cut down, especially the stuff between her and um, Margot Kidder's therapist. All you get in the theatrical is this one really, really brief scene, that first scene that they have together, and they cut it to like a third. And in the director's cut, she goes, freaks out on her. And then they have a whole other scene later where she really freaks out at her about wanting drugs and stuff. And it seems like horrible. None of that is in the theatrical. They really tried to dial her back in the editing because the producers are like, she's fucking unlikable. I mean, I agree with that, but I also agree with Rodney that like she's traumatized, yeah. like horribly, horribly traumatized. So I feel that what she's being asked to do, she does well. Yeah. And I feel like at the end of the day, that's all you can ask of your actor, like do this well. And I feel like she does do it well. So I, I do want to give her props. It's very, very hard to like her character, and I wouldn't expect anybody to like her character watching this movie. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I, I can't think – I mean, it's been a while since I've seen, like, Devil's Rejects and, and so forth. But in general, you're right. Rob Zombie's characters are just – they're all just gross people yeah. across the boards. Even in this movie, like like we'll talk about later, when they go to that big party, like even everyone at the party, even the band it's is like an gross. asshole, right? Like everyone, yeah. Rob Zombie's Haddonfield is like the grossest, fucking ugliest, meanest place to live <laughs> yeah. in America. It's a hundred percent. Except for Brad Dourif, who's just like the nice town sheriff. Yeah. I think it's just because we're used to liking Laurie Strode and rooting for Laurie Strode. I think that's a lot of it. Is it's like you know that's this is not the Laurie Strode that you're you're rooting for. And again, it's not. Not her fault and this is you know the way that she she's playing it and she's playing it how she should it's not the jamie lee that you're like you know we'll be rooting for her in halloween kills you know it's like it's just a different it's a different lori yes it's so hard to let go of the fact that it's like rob zombies his version of the characters in the story you know and like you're just so used to who laurie strode is 
this is just a different woman named Laurie Strode. Now I say all that, but I still have things I'm going to complain about later that I can't let go of. But for Laurie Strode, I was able to let go of it. Well, speaking of horrible people, after we find uh, Laurie wandering around, we see the aftermath of the massacre. And there are these two ambulance drivers who are basically packing up the meat wagon and they're packing up Michael Myers into the meat wagon. And Michael Myers is once again played by Tyler Maine, who is a fucking giant. He is almost seven feet tall. I've met the man in real life. He is a towering Hulk. I met him at a screening of Jason X that we had at CineFamily. And um, Derek Mears, who played Jason from the remake, was there with Tyler Maine because they hang out. And Jason Mears is like a hulking monster, too. And Tyler Maine hulked over him. It was like, wait, there's this giant man here. Wait, there's an even more giant man like right next to him. And they were like drinking buddies or whatever. It's pretty awesome. I like that you just called Derek Mears Jason Mears, by the way. <laughs> he wouldn't care. He was a nice guy. He would think it was funny. Oh, he wouldn't care. We're good friends. He wouldn't care. <laughs> I just think it's because he's so Jason. Like, how could, yeah, it was, a, it was a slip. So anyway, these two morgue drivers take Michael's body to wherever they're taking him. One of them is played by this actor, Richard Brake, who's just got, like, the most facey face that's ever faced. He actually <laughs> played, like, the Night King in Game of Thrones from one of the earlier seasons. Really? Yeah, and um, he's been in a lot of stuff. He just recently showed up at The Mandalorian as an Imperial, of course. He's actually British, but he rarely plays British. And then the other guy in there is, uh, he was from like Deadwood or whatever. And Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy, yeah. And they're just having the grossest conversation ever on the way to the morgue, which is apparently in another state or some shit. Like they're just driving down a high, like a country highway or whatever. And they're just having the most vile conversation. Richard Breaker's talking about having sex with the dead girl, Linda, who was there. And, you know, the other guy's like, oh, don't talk like that. And then he starts joking like that. It's like Rob Zombie can't even like have one character who's nice and one character who's awful. He'll have one character be like, hey, you're being awful. And then they'll be just as awful as that other character. So they hit a cow and I guess that wakes up Michael Myers. And then the other guy just dies instantly, the guy who's driving. And But Richard Brake has got like blood pouring out of his mouth and he's all messed up and he just keeps going, fuck, 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 fuck. I feel like this goes on for like five minutes. It's like, it feels like Rob Zombie is like trying to fuck with you, like literally with the word fuck. But then Michael comes out and cuts his throat with a broken piece of glass and it's really nasty and then he looks down the highway and he sees a vision of his mom a vision of his young self wearing the clown costume or whatever that he wore in the first movie and a white horse i like this scene look i i like all the banter in in the ambulance like i said at the top i'll say again i like when rob zombie's like pushing the buttons right and he's just like how gross how fucking vile can i get <laughs> and this movie is I, I don't even think this is his most vile movie by far but this no. is i'm there for it right and i get why a lot of people wouldn't be but the whole part where the guy's joking about fucking the dead body in the back he's like you're gross he's like i wouldn't actually do it you know like i was laughing i was like this this is so inappropriate i love it and then I, I actually like how he's just like cow and he's like what he goes cow and they fucking slam into the cow I love the blood pouring out. I don't know. It was a really well done scene. Suddenly there's 
ghost mom and white horse in the middle of the road. And I remember being in the theater with like popcorn halfway to my mouth being like, wait, what? <laughs> what the fuck am I looking at? And I was prepared for it this time, but I was still was like, this is so pretentious. I didn't expect there to be something so pretentious in a Rob Zombie Halloween 2 sequel. But I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of cool. I think I'm coming around to it being cool, but I don't get it either. <laughs> also, can I ask a question? Is Michael Myers supernatural or is he just like a dude? Because... Either he's dead or he's not, right? Like, they do a thing when you find bodies, right? Like, they take a pulse and shit. Well, I mean, I think it's just falling into, the, like, slasher rules where every movie, the, we've killed the slasher in the last movie, and then this movie he's going to uh, revive for whatever reason. But Michael Myers is a special case, right? Because, like, Jason Voorhees is, like, a mutant ghost or whatever. And, like, Freddy Krueger, he's, like, a dream demon thing, right? Michael Myers is literally just like a fucked up kid or a fucked up dude. Have you not seen any other Halloween movies? They kill him at the end of every movie and then he comes back at the end of every movie. Dude, spoilers. You're Not everyone listening has seen these. <laughs> Rodney, I think you need to spend some time with Halloween 6. Yeah. <laughs> It's all no, there. I know. Like, I know. I, I, I obviously there's no Halloween. It'd be really boring if he just it was just about a dead body in a morgue. Right. But I'm just saying. <laughs> I feel like if you asked Rob Zombie that question, he'd be like, fuck you. And that would be the whole answer you would get. He's fucking alive. Fuck off. No, I get it. It's like he he's so big that his heart has the ability to slow almost to like one beat every two minutes. And they probably took his pulse and they said, this guy's dead, and they threw him in the back, but he wasn't dead. And then when they hit the cow, it jolted him back to life, obviously. Yeah, you've, that's it. You've cracked it, Rodney. <laughs> yep. I feel like you don't like this scene, Sebastian. My patience gets tested with all the profanity and the whole trying to be so gross and pushing the buttons. It doesn't get tested at all with the gore and all of that. And I love the crazy white horse and stuff at the end. Like, I am all in for the craziness that this movie puts in it. And is it pretentious? Fuck yeah. It's ridiculously pretentious. And some of it isn't particularly well done. But I don't care. I love it. This is what I come to movies for. Like, the fact that this is in this movie is the reason I like this movie. Because it's fucking crazy. And it's just doing something that you just never would expect to be in a Halloween movie. But my patience gets tested with all this stuff. Like, I really don't like the opening scene of his other Halloween with the whole... You know, William Forsyth, like, your daughter's got a sweet can and all that. It's just so, it's just posturing. I just feel like he's a kid in the schoolyard being, like, trying to impress you with how, like, gross and dirty he can be. And it's like, dude, you're not really this guy. You're like a nice vegan. Like, I get it that this is what you think is fun to do, but you're not this person. It's posturing. And I get a little tired with posturing. That's all. I'm not objecting to it like, oh, I don't like the profanities or whatever. I'm just like, come on. You're trying too hard to be cool. Yikes. Cranky. I do get grossed out with all the gross outness because it's just like I remembered when I started watching this scene and they're in the car. And I, rem I like uh, driving with his body, the two dudes, and they started talking. And I was like, oh, yeah. It's this. And I'm not somebody who's easily offended, and I'm not even offended. That's not even what it is, but I'm just like, yuck. Here we go. It's just gross. I also um, do <laughs> really appreciate the gore. I think he gets gore 
really well. Like he makes it so gross that some of the things that happen throughout this film for me are hard to look at, which is saying a lot. The scene where uh, Laurie is taken into the hospital and yeah. like, so, ugh, it's yeah. really gross. Like her, fi- they're like fixing fingers in her hand yeah. Yeah. and shit. I'm like, Ugh. that's exactly what I was talking about. It's just like, it's so yuck and so well done and, and so well shot. And I think that goes back to kind of what you were saying, Sebastian, as far as like his vision of how, you know, he wants things to look is I think is solid as far as that goes. And I think that's also why, you know, not being a huge fan of his music either, but his music videos are so good. Yeah. You know, cause it's like, it's not so much storytelling and, you know, just the dialogue of, you know, you're saying is posturing, which is fine. I, I'm, I'm not arguing with that. It's still just gross and it's so much yuck. He does a really good job of like portraying violence realistically. You know, like when yeah. people get stabbed in this movie, I've never actually seen a stabbing. I don't think so. I've watched a lot of underground videotapes, though, so who knows if those are real. <laughs> but when you, people get stabbed in this movie, I'm like, that feels like that's what a stabbing looks like, right? Yeah. The goofiest thing is actually this part with the ambulance where he cuts the dude's head off. It looks a little a little fake, but when it gets to the hospital and Lori, they're, like, suturing her up, I was like, that's what a, she would look like. This looks fucking real. Yeah, it's like some trauma ER stuff going on there that we're watching yeah dude but like, i actually like when he cuts the guy's head off when the, at the car crash because like you said it's it's the the way it looks but it's also for me it's the sounds yeah, of yeah. Things. the sounds like, it's the sounds so good and it's like when he's taking that glass it's like it just sounds like why again i haven't seen anyone get their head cut off with a piece of glass yet but i think that's what it would sound like how do you guys feel about tyler main as our michael myers Overall, I like him a lot, actually. Like, I like his size. His his performance is great. Look, I I really like him. My only complaint, which we can talk about later, is is related to the mask, right? But the actual him as the and, and again, we're talking about sorry, we're talking about the adult playing him, right? Not the little boy. Right. Yes. I think he does a great job. I think he brings this like imposing physical presence to Michael Myers. He just looks like he would fucking destroy you. Like, I just believe that no one could face this dude. I think he's great. I think he's terrifying. And yeah, I would not want to run into this man anywhere. Like, he just, I mean, this is the first film where he's maskless for a good part of it. You know, we, we don't usually get to see Michael Myers without a mask. He does have such a heavy beard, though, that... You can't really see his face. His eyes are really like just dead. And like, I think that, I don't know, the way that he lights his eyes and stuff too. Like you can see even when these like dark scenes where he's just trucking around because we get a lot of, a lot of Michael trucking. He's just, yeah, he looks scary as fuck. But he does kind of look a little like Rob Zombie. Another thing Rob Zombie does that's a little obnoxious is he loves to have characters in his movies that are clearly based on his look where they've got like beards and long Mm -hmm. stringy hair that hangs in front of their face. So it's kind of like hilarious to me that he's made a movie where Michael Myers is Rob Zombie. (laughs) He totally looks like Rob Zombie. Yeah. I mean, look, that that's my one of my complaints of the film is like, I do not like maskless bearded Michael Myers. I think that's a dumb choice. I think it actually makes him less scary. And I kind of get why Rob Zombie's doing it. But like when he's wearing the Michael Myers mask, he's awesome. But when I see Hobo Myers, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm no longer. I'm no, I was into your movie, but now I'm like, I'm not here anymore. 
I kind of love Hobo Myers just for like the <laughs> fact that he went there with it, but I can't yeah. really argue with you that it's not Michael Myers the way I want to see him. And I mean, to me, Michael Myers wasn't a humongous guy. He was sort of nondescript. He's called the shape because he just sort of blends into the background. He's like average height, average build, nondescript sort of person. So making him this giant monster is sort of a little antithetical to the character overall. However, judging these two movies on their own, I think Tyler Maine is fucking terrifying. And yes, like of all the Michael Myerses that have been on screen, I would not want to run into him the most out of all of them because he's fucking scary. He is fucking scary. And I think actually with having someone who is just this hulking man they use him because of the way that the kills are in this. Like, the kills are so brutal and so, like, only could be done by someone of this size, in, in my opinion. Like, of someone who is this big and strong to be able to annihilate the way he does throughout this film. Yeah, and we see that pretty hardcore in the next sort of sequence, which I remember being sort of controversial at the time, because what we get is a basically extended dream sequence that takes place in the hospital. Laurie wakes up sometime later in the hospital and goes to get the nurse who is played by Octavia Spencer before <laughs> she became a a big star academy award winner <laughs> also in there is caroline williams who you'd know if you're a horror fan from texas chainsaw 2 and some other stuff she's one of the nurses but octavia spencer gets it pretty bad from michael myers here Lori's just like needs some help from the nurse and like they're transferring her back to her room or whatever and then michael myers shows up and kills Octavia Spencer by, like, stabbing her in the friggin' face. And then he stabs her, like, ten times. And while he's stabbing her, he's, like, making these grunts and stuff, which yeah. is, like, another not Michael Myers thing to have right. your Michael Myers vocalizing in any way. But it's really, to your point, super brutal. Like, this gets a little hard for me. I can watch people get stabbed all day, but like he is like demolishing her with a giant freaking knife. It's gnarly. And it's Octavia Spencer. Sweet it's Octavia awesome. Spencer. I love this entire hospital sequence. I think this is just like firing on all cylinders. I agree. I think it's pretty awesome. It's obviously an homage to the original Halloween 2 taking place in a hospital, but yeah. you're sort of cued into the fact that it's not really happening because Knights in White Satin is playing on the television. Yeah. Uh, the Moody Blues song, and it's playing on this like black and white TV, which we'll find that like Lori has a black and white TV for whatever reason in her room, and she likes to watch old things on it, I guess, whatever. So this is sort of your clue that this isn't really happening, because no hospital would have a black and white TV playing the Moody Blues Nights in White Satin on it. I don't know what the like symbolism there is for the song. I think it's probably just a cool song. Interestingly, Rob Zombie is his own music supervisor. I thought it's a great choice. Like I love the use of this song during this. Like I said, I love the whole sequence. I actually forgot it's a dream though. I know we don't spend the whole movie in the hospital, but like how does this resolve especially when she like locks herself in the security shack? And I was like, how is she ever getting out of here, man? <laughs> Turns out she wakes up. And that's, I don't know, that's kind of lame, right? And I remember that that's what I really hated. Because when I went and saw this in the theater, I thought I was going to, in the same way that he remade part one, I thought he was going to remake part two in the hospital and do his Rob Zombie thing. And so I'm sitting in the theater, and like 15 minutes in, he's like chasing around the hospital. I was like, 
man, this is going to be a, a long or short movie. And then to find out it's not the hospital at all, that didn't sit well with me, you know, because like that's kind of why I came. It didn't sit well with me either, but I've come around to it. And here's why I'll explain why. Because this scene, which is super extended, like she's got like a cast on so she can barely walk and she like is going downstairs and there's victims in the stairwell where their eyes gouged out and dead nurses everywhere. At one point, she like falls into a hole like garbage bin full of dead bodies. I mean, it's yeah. over the <laughs> I top. Know, that's like bananas. I, let's take a moment for that. I don't know if I didn't remember this from before, but I'm like, she just but like she just fell into like a garbage bin or off or whatever full of bodies like it's like 20 some odd bodies it's a yeah. lot of bodies i actually thought is that where the hospital puts all the dead people yeah <laughs> I, so I was like is something weird going on at the hospital or is this just that michael myers just really like wow that's a lot it's over the top but then when you find out it's a dream it makes sense because this is the only way this would logically work and you realize like, oh, she's fucking tormented by this. She talks to Annie yeah. about it when she wakes up. She's like, oh, I had the hospital dream again. So, I mean, I feel like I cut it some slack because, yeah, I hate that conceit in movies, too. Like, oh, it was such a dream. But this is serving a point in the story. And it's to show you, like, this is like what she's dreaming every night, like where she's being followed by this killer and eventually killed at the end of the dream, you know, like. That would be fucking horrible. And yeah. I, I feel like it does serve the character. It gets you into her headspace where like, yeah, she's messed up. And the whole point of this movie is to explore that. So I feel like it works. Yeah, I agree. I'm not mad about it. I just was like, that, that was a lot. I, again, watching it the second time, I knew that most of the movie does not take place at the hospital. So I was okay with it. However, that doesn't change the fact that if I could just go back in time and, and change it and make Rob Zombie just make the whole movie at the hospital, I think I'd rather do that. I'd rather have that version. No, because then it would just be a boring remake of Halloween 2. No, it would be it would be an exciting remake of Halloween 2. <laughs> After this, we find out that Laurie is living with the brackets and Annie has survived the first movie too and she's got scars all over her face. And, um, you know, Brad Dorff is there and we get these sort of charming scenes with him where he's talking about the food that he wants to eat. And Annie's kind of browbeating him because he's got bad eating habits. And the thing that's different about this that's in the theatrical is in the um, director's cut, Laurie and Annie are much more at odds. Like they are sort of kind of like squabbling that whole scene in the beginning breakfast where Annie's like one day at a time. In the theatrical, Lori just goes, yep, one day at a time, and they cut it. Like, she's like, yeah, okay, I'll try things one day at a time. But in the director's cut, she's like, fuck one day at a time, blah, blah, and she just goes after Annie. So that was, like, one way they tried to dial back on Lori. But I feel like it works. Like, I feel like the relationship with Annie works in the director's cut because it makes sense. And, and like, Annie's like, yeah, I got fucked up too, you know? Like, you're not the only one who was messed up by this thing, so... I kind of can appreciate Annie's point of view. And Annie's played by Danielle Harris, who was in Halloween's four and five. She played the little girl in that. What? You know this. <laughs> 
This is for the audience, Rodney. It's not for you. I, we all know you're a horror nerd. I do feel like Daniel Harris's performance, both in this one and the remake, is a little too like, I'm going to tell you a thing or two. Like, she's a good actor, but I feel like her sort of take on this is can be a little bit one note. I feel like there could be more nuance there, but I like their relationship. I don't feel that way at all about Daniel Harris's character, her portrayal of Annie. I, I actually like her in this. I, I liked her in the, you know, in the, and I thought she was fine in the, the first one as well. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just showing me that like Lori is really fucked up and having a really hard time dealing with this because even when, and this is, I, I think one of the things you're saying was cut out, but like, you know, when she's going and meeting with Margot Kidder, her therapist, yeah. she's talking about how upset she is, you know, that um, she has to see Annie because it's a constant reminder. And that like, she basically, you know, gets so angry about having to see Annie. And it's a constant reminder that, and she doesn't finish her thought, but she basically wants to harm Annie, Yeah. you know? And so she's like, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say this because what I say, you know, if I say this thing, you're going to want to put me away. But it's also like playing into, you know, what we're going to, what we already know, like, it's not what we're going to learn later. We already know that she's, we learned from the first one that she's Michael Meyer's sister. What we don't know is that she doesn't know that. It's nice to see Margot Kidder in there. Um, she was my lowest lane, so I'll always sort of love her for that. But, you know, she doesn't have much to do here. She does fine, but it's not much of a role, really. But, you know, we get this in the psychologist scene. We get the whole white horse thing reintroduced because she's got a painting on the wall. She asks Lori what she sees, and she says she sees a white horse. So they're sort of feeding into that and sort of just building on this whole how messed up she is. I, I just can see, you know, as you said, why these were cut shorter because it doesn't make you like Lori any no. more because she's really unlikable, which I mean, I think is true to therapy, right? If you're if you're doing it right, you're probably not very likable there. But yeah, the picture that she has up on the wall just is, um, it's like a, what is it, a Rorschach? Is yeah. that what yeah. it's called? Yeah, that's what it is. And I actually, when she said she saw White Horse, I was like, oh yeah, I can see that. I can see it on the sides. It's pretty obvious, yeah. That's what I saw. I was like, if you say anything except White Horse, you're fucking crazy, <laughs> right? That's that's the test. There's only a White Horse. Well, there are two White Horses like facing each other. Yeah, they were fa yeah, exactly. I totally forgot Margot Kidder was in this. I imagine probably when I saw it in theaters, I probably said, why was Margot Kidder in, in only a minute and a half of this movie? Yeah. Laurie Strode is unlikable but she's not like a bad person. She's just no. an angry person. When she's yelling at Daniel Harris, I was kind of like, hey, maybe you need to dial it down, right? Because like all Daniel Harris said was like, hey, what do you want on your pizza? And she's like, you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hey, I feel you, but like they're letting you like live with them. Also, yeah. what happened to her? Did her dad die in part one? It's been yeah, both her mom and dad were killed by Michael Myers. Cool. Well, that makes sense. And I totally forgot Daniel Harris was in part one. It's been a long time since I've seen that. But yeah, like, hey, he fucking cut up my face too, right? Like, chill out. But the, maybe they're, they are going for this thing by they, I mean, Rob Zombie, this idea that like, whatever is wrong with Michael Myers is wrong with her. And that's where like her rage is coming from. And if like, that's what he's going for, that's kind of a cool concept. No, there's definitely some sort of link between them because there's another scene that's coming up or whatever that I was like confused by, but I was like, Oh, that makes sense. If she and Michael Myers are linked 
in some way. There's the implication that they have some sort of psychic link. It's not super obvious, but after you've seen this movie like a hundred times, like I have, you're like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, they're they're linked mentally. There's some kind of thing going on there. Let me ask you guys this. What if they had done it that there is no Michael Myers, he's fucking dead, but Laurie's just going crazy and sort of becoming Michael Myers in a sense. Would that version of the movie have worked better for you? I don't know if it would have worked better, but I'm kind of interested in that. I think that could have been something cool. Because it almost feels like that's where he's going with it sometimes. Because she's sort of evolving into him, I feel like, in some ways. Well, definitely when we get to the end, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that could have been cool. Yeah, I mean, like, you're asking me what do I think about a hypothetical movie that doesn't exist, you know? But, like, I think if I had gone to the theater and Michael Myers wasn't in Halloween too, I would have been like, what the fuck? No, but he would have been, but it would have all been an illusion. No, I don't know. I think my gut says, like, no thank you. I'll throw away my script. From the writer of Portals. The visionary writer from Portals. <laughs> Thank you very much. I just, I'm not a big fan of movies where it's like, oh, what I've been showing you is really not, like, I don't want to spoil, like, well, I'm going to spoil high tension, you know? Like, I don't want So you hate Fight Club. Well, I wouldn't say. You think Fight Club sucks. <laughs> All right, well, you put, well, hey, whoo, getting hot in here. I <laughs> <laughs> Rodney hates Fight Club. That is a good that is a good example of one I do like. You're right. I, I apologize. I do like that. But if I watched a movie where Michael Myers was killing people for two hours and at the end they flashed back, it was like the whole time it was this blonde girl and there was no Michael Myers. I think I'd be like, are you kidding me? That's dumb. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just feel like maybe the movie sort of almost presents that as a possibility, but doesn't really go there. Now, we are also introduced to Lori's friends. She's got a couple of female friends, uh, one of whom is played by Brea Grant, who has gone on to become a horror director herself, which is cool. Uh, I forget the other girl's name, but who cares? But they're like her <laughs> friends at the coffee shop. They work for Howard Hessman. Weirdly enough, he has like 0.30 seconds of screen time or whatever uh -huh. as like the hippie guy who runs the coffee shop. We're going to later see them go to this rockabilly party that just doesn't really matter much other than one of the girls gets killed in a van during that party. But they're kind of fun. You know, they're sort of set up to be the new victims, I guess. And they're all going to dress up as uh, Rocky Horror Rocky Horror Picture Show characters later. I like uh, Brea Grant. I, I, I mean, I just like her in general, but I, I like her in this film. I feel like she's one of the more likable characters in this film. She and Brad Dourif are like the most likable characters in this entire For film. For sure. She, I, I guess because also she just seems to genuinely care about Laurie. Uh, more so than the other girl who I can't remember, but she's just like out to have a good time. I mean, I know Lori's been through a lot, but maybe Brad Dorif would have wanted to share with her what he knew about her being Michael Myers' sister. And instead, you know, she finds out because Malcolm McDowell or Loomis has put out another tabloid esque book. And so, you know, she finds out that way and she's super upset and she goes over to her, her gal pals. And I just, I thought, you know, it was nice because, you know, Lori's, you know, like ready to go get loaded because she's so upset with this news. Understandably so. This is some tough news to swallow. I would definitely get loaded if I found out I was related to Michael Myers yeah. after he tried to slaughter me. Right. And then, um, you know, and also not 
hearing it from the sheriff. A or trusted a, source. A trusted yeah. source, yeah, hearing it the way she did. But she goes over to her gal pals and she's like, yeah, what a party. And Brea Grant's like, hey, we could just stay in and like order food and hang out. You know, like she's and then the other girl's like, let's go, let's party. You know, so she the other friend. So, I mean, they end up going and I mean, whatever, I guess it's part of what needs to happen. But um, I, I like out of her new gal pals, I like Brea Grant's character. The other one I don't really care about. I like them both. Like you said, they don't really have much character. They're like a little bit in the movie. They have a, they have some scenes together, but like. I believe that they are her friends. Do they all work at that like coffee shop together? Is that the idea? No, or? I think Harley, the dark haired one does not. She just like swings by and yes. she's like, we got to go to this party. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I, I agree that like, um, is it Brea Grant? That's her name. Mm-hmm. You said like 30 times. Yes. She is definitely the better of the two friends, both in terms of her on-screen presence and just, she is a better friend, but I, no, I like them. You, you got to have a bunch of girls in your Halloween movie to get murdered. So they do the job good. They're a little over the top in that Rob Zombie way where like, you know, they listen to MC5 and or whatever, like Such an which no role. teenage girls in 2009 were listening to MC5. I hate to break it to you, Rob Zombie. Well, what do I know? But anyway, they're Rob Zombie versions of what cool young women would be like. Which is fine, but they don't necessarily seem like real people you'd run into. It's kind of an eye roll. I just, I, it's an eye roll for me. It's very Tarantino-y where you're getting these women characters that feel like these are the versions of women that the director wants to exist more than actually exist. Like in Death Proof, you know? It's a, it's a choice. It's just, Yeah, the whole thing is just feels very manufactured to me. It makes me want to be like a guy who asks, you know, Laurie Strode to name three Black Flag songs. Yeah, because they're all wearing like cool punk shirts or whatever. <laughs> it brings that out of me. And I'm like, this is so terrible. That's how I feel. I'm like, really? Like you went from, I mean, I guess trauma does a lot of things, but like I just watched Halloween one, you know, or the for whatever Halloween. And then like now this is where we, it's just it just feels very um I can't think of another word except for manufactured. Well, you know, in the original cut, her two friends are actually both played by Sherry Moon Zombie. (laughs) (laughs) And the studio made him reshoot it. (laughs) Rob, we really need some other women characters that are not played by your wife. What's wrong with that? I'll put her in a black wig. I'll put her in a white wig. You'll never know the difference. Like wigs and like kind of disguises, (laughs) but it's still her. Yeah, yeah. Brad Dourif was Sherry Moon Zombie. <laughs> Can we talk very briefly about the bathroom at oh Brad Dourif's house? We have to talk about the bathroom. We cannot, do not cut this out. We have to talk about it. Let's talk about it. We have to talk about it. Like what, what is going on up there? It is Daniel Harris's bathroom, right? But it's obviously in yes. Brad Dourif's house. I guess he just said yes. you can decorate your bathroom however you want. Yes. <laughs> but honestly, I can't even describe it. It is like the dirtiest truck stop bathroom you've ever imagined. Like, it, it feels like in that bathroom you could buy heroin, <laughs> like, like get a blowjob from a stranger and get murdered all while taking a shit. It's got, like, spray paint on the walls. The spray paint says, wipe yo ass next to the toilet. Like, this is where you live. Like, and it, it, the thing is, is, like, the rest of the house isn't like that. Like, it's yeah. like you go downstairs and it's, like, a normal, like... You know, a place that you like girls are living with their dad, but it's like upstairs. And then like, wait, wait, we have to have a moment also for 
for Lori's room. Look, I like some dark shit too, but what I don't have is a giant picture of Charles Manson above my bed. Yes. Like yes. that's not like that's not that's not helping you heal. It is literally like Charles Manson's head is the size of Laurie Strode's body. And I I can't imagine someone didn't say maybe it's not healthy to have that above your head, Laurie. <laughs> like. Or she moved in there and Brad Dorf she was like, "Can we take this down?" and Brad Dorf was like, "You live here, you live with my art." <laughs> Spirals. Manson stays above the bed. <laughs> that poster is what made me want to become a cop. I don't even think about cleaning up the bathroom. Well, and it's funny because the the bathroom, okay, it has like an, a pentagram <laughs> in it and shit. And then later in the movie, Annie's going to get like murdered in the bathroom and there's blood and fucking shit everywhere. But you're kind of like, wait. Did Michael Myers draw that shit in the bathroom? No. Oh, no. Right. That was there before. Like, it's so over designed that when the brutal murder yeah. happens there, you've forgotten that Michael Myers didn't do that. Like, no, looked like that before. If you are listening and you have not seen this movie, you just Google. I imagine you can find a shot of this bathroom because it wins the award for dirtiest on screen bathroom <laughs> I've ever seen. And and the fact that like a lot of the movie takes place in this bathroom. So much I, of it. I just keep staring at it being like, what the fuck is happening? Like there once was a gas station and he bought it and the gas station was owner was like, you can make this your house, but you got to build around the bathroom that's in the contract. It's the grossest bathroom. Yeah. It's like it's truck stop meets like CBGB's bathroom or something. It's just. Yeah. I have been in the CBGB's bathroom and it was not as bad. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't have doors on the toilet stalls. It's a bit of some overzealous production design. Let's just call it yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And there's like th signs everywhere like, remember to fuck off or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> there's stickers. They're like, wake up and die. Wake up and die. Like there's a sticker literally like <laughs> along the mirror, like a sticker. It's like, wake up and fuck off or wake up and die on one side. I would have loved if there was a scene of Brad Dourif taking a shit in the bathroom. Like he's just <laughs> got to take a shit really bad. The only bathroom he has time to get to. And he's like, oh, <laughs> I shouldn't have let them decorate this bathroom. Or, I don't think Annie would have decorated it that way. This is all Lori. No, this is Lori. I assume it's all Lori. I feel like there should be a poster that says, like, there is no I and go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about something else about this movie that that is completely over the top. And that is Malcolm McDowell as Dr. Loomis. Now, if you are a fan of Dr. Loomis from the original series, he was originally played by Donald Pleasance. Malcolm McDowell. McDowell had a different take on him in the remake. He kind of played him as more of like this hippie kind of do-gooder that then kind of took advantage of it and published a book. This is taking that same idea and then pushing it to like a thousand. He, he makes another book after the events of Halloween. And now, you know, it's like called like the devil's something or other. I can't even remember the title of the book, but it's way over the top. But he's become a raging asshole. I mean, not just like kind of an asshole. He's a complete and utter asshole. He's got this assistant who he just harangues nonstop. Like he's like, go get me some sizzling hot PG tips. <laughs> 2% milk. 
sizzling. I want it sizzling. And it's just ridiculous. It's way too much. It's dialed up way too loud. I get what they're going for. It's not a, an idea that I'm against, but they just ratchet up so hard. At one point, he's at like a talk show with Weird Al making a strange cameo. <laughs> and like Chris Hardwick, who's been canceled now. Yeah. But Chris Hardwick is the host. This whole part of the movie, I just can't hang with. It's too much. I feel like after Halloween 1, Rob Zombie asked around, he's like, were there any characters that you ended up liking? And they're like, yeah, Laurie Strode and Dr. Loomis. I liked both of them. And he was like, we'll see about fixing that in the next one. <laughs> I, look, I enjoy... It's Terrence Stamp, right? I enjoy Terrence Stamp. No, no, no Malcolm it's Malcolm McDowell. McDowell. I always mix those two up. My God, Malcolm I McDowell. Can see why. I know yeah. you said it six times. Are we sure those are different people, right? <laughs> <laughs> Is it the same actor just trying to get double checks? I like Malcolm McDowell's performance in this. Like, I think it's he's entertaining to watch, but I think he's just like in a totally different movie. And his scenes mostly have nothing to do with the movie I'm watching. Not at all. Like, again, there's this there's this part of me that's just like, that's not my Dr. Loomis. And then the other part is like, Rodney, you've never heard of Dr. Loomis before. This is, an, this is a standalone. But even having said that, I'm like, why am I watching this guy? Like, do something relevant. All he does is just bitch about his book and like try to like fuck a news reporter, you know, and then gets made fun of by Weird Al. Who is awesome in this? He is good. Always happy to see Word Out. Let me clarify. Like, I enjoy his performance taken as something separate entirely. Like, if this was like the Loomis show with Malcolm McDowell yeah. as as Loomis, Loony I would Loomis. watch the shit out of it. <laughs> if it was like a new version of Curb Your Enthusiasm, yes. but with like Dr. Loomis <laughs> as this asshole, I would watch it. And like, you can tell Malcolm McDowell is having a fucking blast. Like he's practically cracking up before the end of each take because he knows he's being such a dickhead. It's pretty funny to watch. But like, yeah, as you said, it does not fit into the movie at all. It's just ham-fistedly smashed in there just to sort of give his character this through line. And then at the movie, he's suddenly like, you know, I've been a huge dick. I'm going to go run off to help. He has a complete 180 of character at the end just because the movie needs him to. But I do enjoy his performance it just doesn't fit i've already expressed my love for malcolm mcdowell so you know i'll just gush a little bit more but i'm fine with him i will take my joys where i can from this film and <laughs> i know it doesn't really make sense and it maybe it doesn't need to be there whatever he's a good time and he's just great at being terrible and he, yes he seems to really be enjoying himself so i'm 100 percent here for malcolm mcdowell's dr loomis well, I think you bring up a good point in that it's probably there because this is Rob Zombie's idea of comedic relief. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's so off-putting that it's kind of not really funny. He's yeah. treating his assistant so terrible. Yes. And at one point, he's got like a book signing. Yeah. And like the first guy that comes up is like this psycho, psycho. creep who's like, I love Michael Myers. Yeah, <laughs> You signed that to the angel of death or whatever. Right. And then the next guy that comes up is like Linda's <laughs> father. Dad. He's got like a picture oh. of Linda and he's like, you killed her. And then he pulls like out a gun yeah. and stuff. And Loomis is like, well, we get one every time, don't we? <laughs> like if this is supposed to be funny, I'm not laughing. I do find it hard to believe that he wouldn't recognize the photo of one of the dead girls. Right. Like 
Aren't there photos of her in the book? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you've written two books on this killing spree, right? Well, no. His first book was just about Michael Myers before he went on the killing okay, spree. Okay, valid. But he, Michael Myers is, like, your boy, right? Like, you've you've made a whole career on it. I mean, I guess it's just to show you how self-absorbed he is. That, like, he doesn't even look at the photos of the crime scenes or whatever. I guess, like, I'll, I'll buy that, you know? It kind of falls under... Man, I'm starting to think that maybe Rob Zombie isn't such a good writer, right? Because... If there was just a little bit of a sprinkling of, like, a character arc where, like, dude, I could fix it, right? Add one scene to the movie. And it's, like, late at night and Terrence Stamp, right? No longer played by Malcolm McDowell. Terrence Stamp is... (laughs) (laughs) He's in his, like, hotel room and he's having, like, a whiskey and he's staring at the photo that the dad gave him. And you see him realize that maybe he is a piece of shit. And suddenly you'd be like, oh, he has a character arc. Unless that scene exists and I cl- that doesn't exist, right? It is in the movie, but he doesn't not, he's not looking at the photo. He's just looking out the window with like a snifter. And he's like, hmm. <laughs> he literally says like, hmm, I really am a bad person. And then the news is on <laughs> and it's like, oh, Michael Myers is in a shack. And he's like, oh, I've got to go. That's right. Man, I... It's like I'm 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 like thinking I'm smart for basically adding a scene that already mostly exists. <laughs> right, but you're right. If he had been looking at the picture of Linda, that would have made more sense. Right, because it would retroactively it would give that scene a purpose that the, for the dad to show up and give him the picture. Yes. Your scene is better, Rodney. Thank you. Your scene is better. And when he does have that revelation, like, I have to go, there's a standoff, you know, I have to go help. He gets there so fucking fast. They're like out in the boonies somewhere and he's in like some posh hotel somewhere, which I can't believe is that close by, but like he shows up so quick. Also, it's like, I understand the talk show he goes on. It looks like some kind of late night cable access show, but like does Haddonfield have like a fucking TV station? Like, yeah. Like, right? Where is he? Is like the whole, he's always in Haddonfield, but Haddonfield's like this small little town. Like every building in Haddonfield stands in a field by itself. I feel like this is just a thing you see in horror movies. Like there's always news stations talking sure. about whatever's going on in small town USA. I'm assuming he's somewhere outside of Haddonfield, whatever the nearest city is. That's fair. I'm not, I'm not nitpicking. I can roll with that is all I'm saying. We can all agree that Donald Pleasance is the better Dr. Loomis, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't even think of this as the same character. It's really not. That's how I get around this is like, this is not that Dr. Loomis. His name is Dr. Loomis, but he's not the Dr. Loomis from those movies, obviously. And this Michael Myers isn't the Michael Myers. And this Laurie Strode isn't the Laurie Strode. I just let go of all that stuff. And I know some people can't because, you know, somebody remakes a movie and they bring in the characters with the same names and they're played by different actors with a whole different approach. I get it. Some people can't let go of that stuff. I'm just not one of those people. I like to see new takes on things so I can go watch the original Jamie Lee Curtis version (laughs) of Laurie Strode and now like five movies worth of her. Now she's safe. It's fine. I don't care. If somebody wants to do something different, I'm okay with it. I'm just talking about the character in the movie is ridiculous. And this character of Loomis isn't even consistent with the last movie of Loomis. Correct. And I'm not holding on to like my Laurie Strode being like, you know, it can only be Jamie Lee. That's not what I'm saying at all. I was just saying. No, I know. I was just saying it because, you know, I don't have a problem. I can divorce myself from like, you know, hanging on. I, I also like seeing new versions of things. 
and knowing that they can exist in separate places and that's all cool. It was just what I was saying about this Lori Strode. It's just was, I think, hard to adjust to because of just the character in general of how you feel about Lori Strode as a character, not so much who's playing her or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that she's like this yeah. likable good girl. Yeah, and that's valid. So the first big scene after the hospital where we realize that Michael Myers is still alive and he's wandering the country. He's a wandering man. <laughs> he's got his like bedroll. He's like a full on hobo. And I remember when the movie first came out, this was the thing that most people were like, what the fuck? Like Michael Myers is a hobo now? And I'm sorry if that term offends anyone. He's a homeless person. But I mean, he's a hobo. Come on. And so he's wandering around. He's not even wearing his mask at this point. And like the first sort of major scene we have where he comes into contact with some people is he's been hanging around these sort of farmlands and he wanders onto this farm and we get these like three rednecks in a pickup truck, one of whom is played by Mark Boone Jr., so who you'd know from a lot of movies, but he's most sort of famously, I think, known for Sons of Anarchy. But they like they're like, there's been a hobo wandering around our property. We got to get him off the property. And they find Michael, hobo Michael, in this field and they stupidly go after him. They beat him with like, I don't know, axe handles or baseball bats or something like that. So they beat the shit out of him and like their truck literally has like antlers on it and shit. And they like they've got it. They're like bathing him in the headlights and beating him with these bludgeoning weapons. And then Michael takes out his mask from the first movie and puts it on and then stands up and then just basically murders the shit out of all three of them. Yep. It's pretty brutal. It's not as brutal as some of the other kills. I believe somebody gets impaled on some of them horns. Does Mark Boone Jr.? I forget. It's one of the guys. It's like it's like two guys and a girl. One of the guys gets like impaled on the horns in the front of the car. It's hard to tell. It's dark. I mean, you can tell like, it, but again, I think for me, it's by the noises and whatnot that like some gross, really gnarly, violent shit is happening, but you can't really see it so much because it's they're out in a field where there's no lights other than these headlights. I don't remember any of these kills being particularly like amazing, you know, or nah. noteworthy. They're brutal, but they're not that gory. You don't yeah. see much. Well, I think what we're establishing here, too, is just a reminder in case you didn't know that, you know, Michael Myers doesn't give a fuck about you showing him kindness because this girl who's out there who after like Mark Boone Jr. Mark Boone, what's his name? Mark Boone Jr. Terrence Stamp. No, Jr. Yeah, Terrence Stamp. Um, no, and they're like, they, they clobber the shit out of him and like leave him for dead. This girl who's like, you know, we can't leave him. We can't, what, are we going to just leave him here? Like, and she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to him. I think this is also, again, just to show, like, that doesn't matter because he's going to fuck you up no matter what. Like, there's going to be no mercy shown because you tried to show him mercy in some way. But even worse than their murder is they've got a dog in a cage oh. in the back. And friggin' Michael Myers is hungry, so he just goes and murders the dog to eat him. I think this is a callback to the original Halloween yeah. because he eats a dog in that. Right. But then, weirdly, while he's eating the dog, Lori and Annie and Sheriff Brackett are having pizza at their home. And then Lori just freaks out because I guess she's sensing Michael is eating the dog and starts puking in the bathroom. And that's what I was talking about. There seems to be some psychic connection between oh, them. Oh, I didn't, I just didn't really 
connect that. Well, they make such a big point about it, too, where she's like, when uh, the sheriff's going to go get pizza, she's like, no meat, you know, and then they're eating dinner and they're eating pizza. And she's like, we got to get your dad off of the, the meat or the animal products or whatever. So it's really establishing that she's a vegetarian or whatever. At first, I was thinking like, oh, did she get some meat on her pizza? And she's like really reacting to it. But it's like so violent. And I'm like, it's and it, they're cutting it, you know, with Michael Myers. And I'm like, oh, no, it's because she's eating the dog, too. Right? Or she's yeah. getting the sensation of that because she's really barfing big time. I literally just didn't put that together. I really thought because like when they opened the pizza, it was like a half and half pizza. Yeah. And I thought someone says a line about like none of your meat better have touched my yeah. side of the pizza. Right. Yeah. She says that. Yeah. She and does. so I just thought I thought it was like that combined with her medication or whatever. But. The part where he kills and eats the dog is fucking awesome. Bravo, Rob Zombie. Thank you. <laughs> like, that must have upset so many people when they saw it. Jen, I imagine you're one of them. Did it upset you? I love it. It wasn't wasn't a good time, Rodney. No. I think it's so weird how, and when I say you, I mean you, listener, or anyone, can, like, watch Michael Myers fucking murder Octavia Spencer and, like, stab her 40 times and you just be like, yeah, eat my popcorn. I struggled with that, too. Yeah, I did. I know. I did also. I was like, not Octavia Spencer. Like, that was rough. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you actually see him kill the dog, to be fair. He, the, yeah. But, like, you do see him definitely cut the dog open and just start eating dog innards. And I was like, this movie's way cooler than I remember. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah, and one thing we should sort of touch upon is we're getting these sort of crazy hallucinations where Laurie is having these visions with Mama Myers and little Michael. Crazy, like, surrealistic sequences where there's, like, snow and there's this one moment where there's this, like, skeletal statue with Michael Myers' mask on top of it and Laurie's in, like, a coffin, pumpkin-headed creatures eating at a feast i mean it's so visually over the top and it makes no sense but i love all this shit and it's so goofy and the whole time mama myers as played by sherry moon zombie is like now michael you <laughs> should do this and you should do that and it's so kind of bad but it's so good i love it this was what I bristled against when I first saw this in the theater. I was like, what the fuck is happening here? But now I've completely come around to it. Like, this is now the bright spots of Halloween yeah. 2 for me. <laughs> Fashion has had me watch this film enough times now where now I can, I can see the light. I can see the light of Sherry Moon. This is what I do to people. <laughs> I make them watch movies they don't like so many times that they eventually like them. I like it now. It's a good movie. It's a really good movie, Sebastian. It's my weird sort of hypnotism. Have you seen The Wolfman? The Wolfman's really good. You should watch it 10 times. You'll like it too. If you just keep watching it, you'll learn to like it, Rodney. But no, I really do like all this surrealist nonsense. I totally forgot about like the weird pumpkin people at the yeah. feast. <laughs> that is weird. And I feel like maybe that is what like, he liked doing that so much that inspired him to make Lords of Salem. I feel like mm -hmm. it. Yes. Because Lords yeah. of Salem came after this, right? Yeah. Yep. Like, if, yeah, if you like that part of this movie, you're going to love Lords of Salem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes of, like, Sherry Moon Zombie standing next to, like, young Michael Myers in, the, in the, like, the little boy version. And basically, yeah, like, being like, go here, do this, time to come home, you got shit to do. It's so fucking weird and out of place. Even because, like, that shit doesn't happen in his first movie, right? 
So nope. even in, by Rob Zombie rules, you're suddenly injecting like hallucinatory imagery into a film series that doesn't have it. I get why a lot of people were turned off, you know? And like, you know, some of it is from Michael's point of view. Like she's talking to Michael and the, and he's seeing himself as the little boy version of himself. And that's the only version that speaks. Lori's having her own version of these, like where she's Michael and she like kills Annie in one vision and cuts her throat the way that Michael did to the William Forsyth character mm -hmm. in the first movie. So he's mixing these up. So I think this is his way of communicating that Michael's having these visions and Laurie is also having these visions. And that's sort of how they're sort of tied together psychically. They're both sharing this weird dream space. We should also mention that she's also starting to have these while she's awake. Yes. She was having like just weird dreams before. And now like these like episodes are happening in the bathroom, in the, the beautiful bathroom. She has an episode of this. But yeah, she this is what prompts her when she's at another um, session with the therapist, Margot Kidder, where she's like freaking out. And again, this is something Sebastian said was cut from the theatrical but she's like freaking out and demanding more meds because now i'm having like you know i'm seeing all kinds of weird shit while i'm awake now the next big sort of murder set piece that we get is michael wanders um over to uh his mom's old uh, place of work which is the <laughs> rabbit and red strip club where they still have like a picture of deborah strode deborah myers Deborah Myers, sorry, whatever. What? Deborah Myers, <laughs> long dead stripper. They're like the home of Deborah Myers or whatever. And of course, it's Sherry Moon Zombie. And we get this character who um, is played by Daniel Roebuck, who was in River's Edge. He's a character actor you've seen around. Rob Zombie loves him. He loves to put him in his movies. And he's the owner of this strip club. He actually was in the first Halloween for like 0.5 seconds. You see him in that. So he's the owner of this strip club and he's going to fuck this stripper on his desk and he's been playing Frankenstein for the kids in like the local Halloween fair or whatever. And there's this other character who is played by Jeff Daniel Phillips, who is, I guess, working at the strip club. And I get the sense that maybe he was the stripper's boyfriend before, but now she's with the club owner. And so he's all resentful about him. Jeff Daniel Phillips is going to play another role in this movie as the MC for the you know, Halloween hoot nanny that they go to. Oh. That role was supposed to be Sid Haig, but Sid Haig like fell ill or whatever and couldn't do it. So this guy like doubled up. I noticed it was the same guy right so away, but most people didn't. When he's at the hoot nanny, he's wearing like makeup from like this movie madman uh, it's like a uh, vincent price movie so anyway in this scene he's a resentful uh strip club employee and he goes out to take out the trash and michael is there and he tells michael to get the hell away from the trash because the owner don't like hobos messing with the trash and michael myers stomps his face in which is pretty brutal face stomping it was rough like i mean well this whole scene is just gross it's just like getting back into like let's go to gross town and he does it well i can't i can't handle a face stomping like i i it goes back to like seeing american history x 
and the curbing that happens at one point in that film. I actually had to look away. I was like, I, I, I can't. And I, it's just, it's so rough, but done so well. Like, kudos. Yeah, the effects are really good. It really looks like somebody's head's yeah. being stomped in by a giant man. It really sounds the way I would imagine a head would sound as it's being crushed Oof. by a boot. You know, like it's, it's gnarly, man. In fact, I think it's better than the head stomp in the 2018 Halloween fuck you 2018 halloween rob zombie outdid you with the head stomp <laughs> score one for rob zombie there but then what follows is an incredibly tasteful scene where <laughs> michael myers comes into the strip club while the frankenstein owner is going to fuck the stripper on his desk and michael myers comes in kills the strip club owner like at one point he breaks his arm and it's really nasty and then the poor stripper who is buck ass naked is like trying to escape through the strip club which has got all these mirrors and michael myers grabs her and bashes her against these mirrors like smashes her face in if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this movie and you aren't into gore do not see this movie. It's pretty friggin' horrifying. This tests my limits a little bit. Yeah. Not in terms of what I can handle because I can handle it, but it's just, this is so fucking tasteless because she's like naked the whole time. He's like bashing in her face brutally. I mean, brutally. Yeah. But she does like reach up and grab his face because he's wearing the mask at this point and she like tears off half his mask. So he's got this sort of half mask face now for the rest of the movie. Not to mention that she sees when she comes out of the office that Michael has so delicately strung up the head that he just stomped in. So we get to like really right, get to yeah. like get a good look at this this guy who like it's like a meat cleaver was taken to what was his face at some point. Like I, I think it's actually the boot prints or something like the boot waffling or whatever is just like it's more like a meat tenderizer. Tenderizer. Yeah. Tenderizer is the right word. Yeah. Um. It's it's. Yeah, it's a lot. And that the whole scene with her, like, I think I also had to turn my head a little bit, too. Again, it's not that I can't handle it. It just makes me feel so yuck. Rodney, do you find this to be a tasteful scene? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I want to make a joke about how tasteful it is. But no, I mean, it's it's a this whole sequence is disgusting and sleazy, but I love it. This is why I have come to a slasher film, right? Especially a Rob Zombie slasher film. It's all that other shit that I don't, I'm not here for. I don't care about the doctor writing his book and I don't care about the white horse ghost woman, right? I have come to watch Michael Myers do bad things to people. And that includes taking a naked stripper and shoving her head through like a glass mirror. I thought that was awesome. And I, I love the curb stomp. I don't remember what happens to the strip club owners, though. He just kind of kills him on the table. They don't really show it. You know what I don't like? I don't like half sleaze. I don't like people trying to be half sleazy, all right? This sequence is so fucking dirty that, like, you're either in or you're out. And I got to tell you, the minute it cut to the strip club, I was like, oh, boy, here we go. I'm in. This is going to be great. <laughs> I appreciate it. I I. You know, whatever. Shame on me. But I didn't make the movie. It's not shame on you. And it's not even shame on him. Like, uh, again, it goes back to like, he's doing his thing and he does it well. He does it like no one else. I mean, we can have a whole a whole episode talking about similar. Like, there are other brutal kills in other movies, right? But Rob Zombie, man, like, he really, he knows how to make you feel like you just crawled through a dumpster <laughs> when all you've done is sat in a seat. <laughs> you've just been sitting there watching his movie, but you feel like you need a shower. 
And that's that's not easy to do. People, people, horror filmmakers across the world are trying that on a, a daily basis and failing dramatically. But Rob Zombie knows the the special stew recipe, you know? Yeah. And the answer is like gross old guy plus like gross young guy plus like naked middle-aged stripper kill them all on screen you're just like oh man it's also because like you only meet all these characters in this one scene but you kind of get the sense that all their lives are terrible it's like without even telling you anything about them it's sort of depressing because you feel like you feel so bad for their lives and their lives have probably been shitty all the way up to this point and then they get brutally murdered for no reason they've done nothing wrong (laughs) Except be disgusting people. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't even know why, like, why did he go in there? Because that's where his mom his, used to work. Because where his mom was. He's coming in there to for, for vengeance. All right, that's valid. In Halloween, it's like a big source of contention. I mean, one, just because if you have a parent that's working and, you know, and and other people find out that she's working there, like, that's a problem. But, like, even the, like, the kid that the first documented kill we have in Halloween is, like, this bully who is, you know, give, giving that. a hard time. But he had like a printout of like a flyer of his mom for the for the club. And he was like going to distribute it to the school and like, you know, all of that. So it's right. a real point of contention. I have a quick question. What has Michael Myers been doing for two years? There's no answer to that question. Let's move on. Okay. All right. Obviously, he's been wandering <laughs> because like he wandered so far away from Haddonfield. This is for the hobo. Do you go up to every homeless person you see on the street and say, what have you been doing for the last two years? No, but like, where did he go? Like away from like all he cares about is fucking up Haddonfield. Like I, I was wondering. That's that what too. I'm like, Where did he go? What did he do last Halloween? Why did he not come for Laurie Strode then? Yeah, that's a little weird. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe he just took the year off. Maybe. He's like, I killed a lot of people last Halloween. Halloween. I need to take a year off. It's a sabbatical. He's like, you know, I got I got really hurt last year and I just things haven't healed maybe. right. Yeah. Well, maybe the year before they didn't have this kick ass hoot nanny party uh, that yeah. all the girls go to because this is where That's the true. next kill takes place. This kill I think is lame and boring. It's just to have like a little sort of sex scene. The girl who we don't like that much has decided to hook up with this short little creep who's dressed up like a wolf man and go out to his van. I guess we're just to assume that she's just so sexed up and horny that she'll have sex with anybody. So she wants to have sex with this guy. They go out into a van and for some reason Michael Myers decides to kill him while he's taking a piss and then kill her. I feel like this is dumb because why did Michael Myers go to this party? Why does Michael Myers need to kill her? He doesn't know if she's friends with Lori. Like None of this works for me. It's just another scene to have a murder, and it's not necessarily a good murder. I think it's a scene just to have a murder with, like, sexiness happening and to show off the shagging wagon. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, you know, and I don't know. I just, I hate this party. (laughs) I hate this party so much. I hate this party, too. I would leave this party. (laughs) I'd be like, fuck this place. It's like a big rockabilly party. They do have strippers on stage who are showing their boobs, but it's so over the top. They have these like giant animatronic pumpkin people props that are so like you'd never see in some small town hootenanny thing or whatever, but so overdone. This is not anything that happens anywhere. Sorry. This is the like the small town Oregon in you coming out. All right, because. As an L.A. boy, I was sitting there being like, oh, my God, I I haven't been to a good party in so long. This looks amazing. I want to go this year. 
I agree. It seems unlikely that that party is happening in the same town that I've been watching. Yes, that's what I'm saying. But I was like, man, that's a rager. I want to be there. I want to be where the action is. I also agree. I have no idea why that hot girl just picks this random nerdy wolf man. He's like a like a kid in a wolf man costume. And is like, I'll totally bone you in your van. Like, it just seems so out of place. Yeah. And you're right. These kills are kind of lame. It's surprisingly lame compared to all the shit we've been building up to. I don't even remember how he kills the Wolfman kid. He's out having a piss and he just kills him. They don't even really show it. He just stabs him. Yeah, it's just dark. All right. Yeah, just like a, like a quick kill. But then he like he chokes her to the point that he like breaks her neck, which again, it's a good sound effect. I like that. But I'm not sure why he's there. I assumed he was just like following Laurie Strode. That's what I thought was happening. Do you know what I just realized? This happens in prom night. Ah, uh, yes. The, the, it's the whole shagging wagon. It's the girl and the guy who's kind of nerdy, and they totally, like, get killed in the same kind of way. It happens, sort of. I, I feel like this is just something, like, he just wanted to do. I think you're right. I also think it's sort of mirroring the Linda kill in yeah. both the, his version of Halloween and the original, where it's, like, two people having sex. And he even strangles her the way he strangled Linda in the his first movie so and it's fine and i don't and and look it's like i'm not mad that this scene is here like whatever it's just par for the course it's where we're going along on our on his journey to get to get to the sheriff's house i just would hate this party i am kind of though seeing rodney's point though it's been a long time since i've been to a party like that so after two years of pandemic i think i'd probably be more <laughs> into come it. on what you don't I you guess. want to drink some beers, listen to some rockabilly, see some naked dancers? Right now I do. Yes. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I don't even like rockabilly. Under normal conditions, no. But in <laughs> after two years of being home, yeah, I'll take it. It was just like everyone was having so much fun. I forgot what fun was like. <laughs> okay, fine. Fine. Pandemic deprivation, sure. I would go to the party. So, yeah, we're moving on to Sheriff Brackett's house. He sent a patrolman over there to watch over Annie, even though she doesn't want him to. And Michael Myers kills him by just stepping out from behind a tree and killing him. And then he goes in and kills Annie, but we don't really see him kill her yet. Because then Laurie and uh, the Brea Grant character show up because they've left the party. They have this kind of nice scene where they're just kind of hanging out in the kitchen making tea. And you get the sense that they really kind of are friends. But then Laurie goes up to the bathroom. And when she goes up to the bathroom, she sees Annie, who's almost dead again. And poor Daniel Harris, she gets like half naked in the first movie and covered with blood. And then now she's totally naked, which implies that Michael Myers raped her because she was wearing clothes when he first shows up there. Well, she was wearing a robe. She was getting into the bathtub. So there wasn't far to go. I'm just saying. Okay, hopefully. I hope that's the I think case. Sebastian, you're just a you're just a sick fuck, man. <laughs> I don't I didn't take that at all. Well, she's totally naked and she wasn't wearing clothes, but she was wearing something before. She she was getting ready to take a bath. That makes me feel a little better. We skipped over the coolest part in the movie, which is the part like the slow motion death of, of Daniel Harris. I think that is the highlight of the film. No, that takes place in this scene because we don't, we don't see it at first. It. Yes, it's artfully done because we don't see the kill when it happens. We see a like replay of it when Lori finds her there. I'm just talking about like slightly earlier before before they come to the house. Danielle Harris is getting ready for her bath. Yes, she turns and sees Michael Myers and it cuts. And then it cuts. You're right. Okay, yes. 
I mean, I say you're right. I don't remember. All I remember is this badass music playing while she in slow motion is like trying to run away and he's like coming after her. I get it. Like made it feel somehow like the worst death in the movie, even though it all happens off screen. First of all, we do know because Sebastian watches this film all the time. So he, 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 he is the person that would know. I believe if there's anyone who knows the exact edits. I think Rodney's right. I think the scene ends with her being chased out of the bathroom and then right. it cuts. But we don't see the brutal, brutal murder until Laurie. Right, there. right, right. Right, which I agree I think is done really well. And I think it is kind of the worst kill in the movie because she's already been down this road before it's just like oh fuck man annie's having to go like go through this again where when Lori discovers her she's not quite 100 percent dead she was naked because like we said she was going to take the bath so she's in the robe i never thought that michael myers raped her what i thought was like wow rob zombies is making us fully see her naked now like we saw in the last film like it was just all about her boobs like where that's how she gets, she gets discovered in the last film. And now we've just upped the Annie, so to speak. Like now she's completely buck-ass naked. Poor Danielle Harris. I mean, she's she's a beautiful girl, but wow. Anyway, then we get the the replay and the, the slow motion of what you were talking about, which is really well done. And it's just super sad because now we've got Lori in the same situation that she was a couple of years ago with her friend. Also feeling worse because the last time she saw her friend, she was a total dick. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you know, that whole thing where she's just like, oh, no, no. And it's just, it, I feel it here. Like, this seems like real. Like, this is real talk. Like, no, 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 baby, don't, don't go, don't go. And this, you know, all this, like, it's pretty rough. This is a, like, I think, I think deserves like the roughest kill. And then downstairs, the Brave Grant character is trying to call the police. But then Michael comes and grabs her and pulls her inside and kills her. It's not much of a death. She just stabs her with a knife. Oh, it's actually pretty brutal. He like throws her on the kitchen table or something and then stabs her right in the chest. It is actually kind of brutal. It's like retroactively less brutal because of what happened to Daniel Harris. Yeah. But I think also the way that her character is behaving is totally what would happen because She's just here to drop her friend off and they're hanging yeah. out for a minute. But she, like, it's so true that like, you don't necessarily know your friend's address. Like, you right. know, like where the house is, you've been there or whatever, but it's like, I don't know, it's Cherrywood Lane uh, Road, you know? And like, she runs outside to like, see like the house number, which I think this was totally how this would play out because you don't always know when you're dropping someone off, like their exact like location or whatever. So, and then that's when he grabs her and it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal, but it's kind of lackluster because we just saw full-on carnage in the, the worst bathroom of all time again here we are again in that bathroom jen i know everyone's address well good when michael myers <laughs> comes to to kill us you'll be able to give an accurate description to the 911 operator <laughs> there is one thing that i kind of wanted to talk about and i know we're like it's probably out of order now so like in the movie dr loomis says to someone like Someone said, a reporter says, isn't it weird that they never found Michael Myers' body, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, how do they just lose a body transporting it from point A to point B, right? That is like a serious real question, right? Because they kind of don't explain that at all. I am left to assume that the shit with the ambulance was not a dream. That is what happened. No, that is what happened, yes. Okay, you know, at some point, police would have shown up and been like, that's weird. This man's head was cut off. <laughs> and the missing body and so forth, right? Right. And so now I find it really hard to believe that Daniel Harris is like, 
I don't want no cop standing outside with a shotgun. Yeah. Dude, if you told me that, like, the man that killed me went missing and the people driving the ambulance were found with their heads chopped off, I'd never sleep again. 100%. I think you're 100% right. The only defense I'll give to the movie is we do get the sense that Sheriff Brackett, Brad Dorff, has not been completely forthright with all of the details to everything. We do get the sense that he's trying to maybe shelter them a little bit. But, I mean, that information would come out anyway. I mean, especially in this day and age with the internet and everything. But I think what we're supposed to take is that he hasn't told them everything. Like, he knows that they fucked up and that Michael Myers is probably still alive, but he's just hoping he's not going to show up. But this takes place in 2009, before the internet. Does it, though? Rob Zombie's first Halloween starts in 1978, because that's when the original Halloween came out. Then it goes 15 years later, so supposedly... That would now make it 94 or 3. No, 93. 93. And then this is two years later. So this should be 1995. Although the first Halloween has cell phones in it, which makes no sense. So like continuity is all thrown out of whack. I think you could make the argument that this is taking place in 1995. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, no one has like smartphones or anything. Or Are there cell phones in this movie? No. No, okay. I don't think so, but it would also explain the rockabilly. Yeah, that was big around then. <laughs> the only thing that throws it off is in his Halloween, Linda has a cell phone in the Myers house because they have to have her call yeah. Lori. It doesn't make any sense because she would not have a cell phone like that at that time if it takes place in 93. If she had a cell phone at that time, it would have been one of those big bricks. Yeah, it's not. She has a Nokia, so it's not. It's a 2007 cell phone. But anyway, we digress. So this is basically leading us into our climax. Lori runs off terrified. She ends up in a car at one point. This guy stops to give her a ride, but then Michael Myers like comes out of nowhere and just pushes the car over and then Lori's unconscious and Michael takes her out of the car wreck and carries her off to this shed in the middle of nowhere for whatever reason. He's just going to a shed in the middle of nowhere and uh, Sheriff Brackett comes home and finds his daughter dead and we had another sort of heart-wrenching scene where Brad Dorif is killing it again weeping over the body of his dead daughter this movie is definitely not fun. No, it's a feel. This is a feel bad movie. You know, like there's a certain type of person who just wants like a fun Halloween movie. You know, they're just like, oh, it's Halloween. Let's like put some popcorn in the pumpkin and we'll eat it and it'll be great. This isn't trick or treat. Yeah, this is not. This is not for you. This is just an ugly movie about like an actual murderer who's real and he's coming for you. This makes me sad to think that if somebody actually got the wrong Halloween too, like if they, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't happen so much now, I guess. This would more so be a thing that would happen if you were renting from a video store, I guess. But I just picture, like you said, like, oh, let's watch a classic Halloween too. And like get the popcorn and candy out and pop this in and just be so, so confused and so sad. It's happened to somebody somewhere. Yeah. I know. Sure. When I was like a teenager, I rented, there was like an R-rated horror version of Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Exists, right? And I put it on and like, it felt very like, like masterpiece theater. You know, it was very <laughs> just like, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, well, it's probably going to pick up, right? And like, by the end of the movie, like no one had gotten killed. It was just like a family friendly Rumpelstiltskin live action film. <laughs> and then I like, I do a little research and I realize, 
oh shit, someone at the video store <laughs> accidentally put the wrong. And then I realized <laughs> somewhere there is a mom who rented <laughs> the family friendly Rumble Souls game <laughs> for her kid. And I wish I could have experienced that. Oh, that's <laughs> too funny. Oh my God. So yeah, we're at our big climax. Michael has holed up in the shed uh, with Lori and her arms are being held down by baby Michael Myers, even though he's not real. And Sherry Moon zombie mom is there saying like, say you love me, Lori, say you love me. So like Michael and Lori, they both can see these visions and Brackett shows up with the whole SWAT team, the whole Haddonfield SWAT team or whatever. They've got like a fucking helicopter and everything shining a spotlight in. This is where we get Loomis realizing that he's got to make up for all his bad ways. And he runs off to very quickly arrive there. Loomis is like, I want to go in. Right. Well, no, you're right. Loomis is like, I want to go in. And like Brackett like holds a gun to Loomis's head and is like, you are, this is all your fault. Like you fucking asshole. I'd like to shoot you right now, which I'm pretty sure that if you're a cop, you can get fired for telling somebody I'd like to shoot you right now. <laughs> Not when you're the sheriff, oh, because who oh. who can fire you? That's right. Now, what happens in the theatrical is Loomis goes in there. He like, sees that Laurie's in there, and he says to Michael, like, Michael, I'm going to leave here with this girl. And Laurie's like, I can't get up. He's holding me down. And Loomis is like, no one's holding you down, Laurie. And then... Michael kills Loomis. He goes after Loomis and stabs him to death. And then somebody shoots Michael through the window and he ends up falling back on like this kind of rake like thing. And he gets like impaled with the rake. And then Lori takes the knife and like she says something to Michael, like, I love you, Michael, like you're my brother. But then she stabs him to death with a knife. And then she walks out of the shack with the Michael Myers mask on and she just sort of falls to the ground. And then we have the thing with her at the, in the asylum in the white room in the asylum. So she has not died in the theatrical version. I'm talking about the theatrical version. Laurie does not die. She is just gone crazy like Michael. And so now that last vision we get is literal. She is in an asylum, but she's having visions of her mom and Michael or whatever. In the director's cut, Michael kills Loomis. He actually kills Loomis outside of the shack and he like pulls off his mask and he, and he speaks. He's like, die and stabs Loomis a bunch of times. Then they shoot him. They shoot him like a million times and we get like, like this slow motion of Tyler Maine getting shot, shot, shot. And then Lori comes out with his knife and then somebody just shoots her by accident or whatever, I think is what we're meant to think. Cause she doesn't really do anything. As I recall, she's just like, she comes out and she's standing there looking around, holding a knife. And then someone just like, shoots I didn't, I, I still got bullets in my gun. I got to use them on someone. It was the most unjustified shooting I've seen in a movie. Like she's just standing there and I get that she's holding a weapon, but it's weird that they just gun her down. 
She is looking at Loomis. Like, that's the only thing. But, but Loomis is already dead. I, I don't know. It's weird. But, yeah, she's definitely, like, got the knife. or It's like a giant machete or something. It's the biggest fucking knife ever. Like, without yeah. actually being a machete. It's like a hunting knife or something. But it's, like, five feet long. It's, it's like, crazy. the biggest knife. It's ridiculous. But, I mean, in Tyler Maine's hands, it looks like a normal knife because he's so <laughs> fucking huge. <laughs> Wait, first of all, how do you guys feel about Michael Myers saying die? I don't love it. I don't love it either, but he's been grunting throughout the whole movie too. So it's like, I'm just like, this is what we're doing. I'm going to be honest. I kind of like the theatrical ending better. I kind of don't like this ending as much. It's not the worst or anything, but I don't know. I, Rob Zombie loves it. He's like, this is the ending that I wanted. I don't like either of these. From the minute they get to the shack on I'm out. This movie goes off the rails. I don't want a fucking ending where the police are surrounding them and Loomis shows up because he has to. Give me like a, like an actual chase and a fight and like, you know, give me something cool. I think this movie nose dives at the end. I think you're right. It's a bad ending. And it, you know what it feels like? It feels like they didn't have an ending. So they're like, uh, what can we do? Oh, I think there's a shack over there. Why don't we just have him go to the shack? <laughs> like it feels completely made up on the spot. I don't know what. I wanted the ending to be, but it wasn't this. That's all I can say. It just doesn't feel like there's like a proper like showdown between any of the characters. Like, I don't know. They just all are there. And I remember when I watched this last night, I was like, I don't remember her getting like gunned down by the cops. So, okay. I'm glad to know that I, my memory is somewhat intact, but I took it that she still survived somehow because she's, it still ends with her in the mental hospital. The mental hospital means different things depending on which version you watch. If you watch the theatrical, it means means literally she's in a mental hospital but having hallucinations and if you watch the director's cut you know you get this kind of wispy girl version of love hurts which my wife was like audibly groaning during while we were watching it today <laughs> which they used love hurts in rob zombies halloween when michael is forlornly sitting out on the steps waiting for somebody to take him trick-or-treating so it's a callback to that movie it's dumb admittedly in the director's cut you're to assume that she's in some sort of afterlife i think or whatever oh really yeah, in the theatrical, they just play not the Halloween theme, but that secondary Halloween theme, you know, that ding, 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 mm -hmm. you know, when Michael's just walking around or whatever, the, you mm -hmm. know, the second most well-known Halloween theme. They play that as Lori's sitting in the asylum. And I think what you're supposed to take from that is that she's now crazy like Michael. She's yeah. now become like him and she's seeing the visions. And we're going to get a Halloween three where it's going to be Laurie Strode as the killer. I don't know. Maybe that's what you're supposed to think in the director's cut, too. But I mean, I think we're supposed to think she's dead. I thought just like her brother, she can get shot like 40 times and still live. I don't know. It's unclear. Which is probably the way Rob Zombie intended it to be. It's a real ambiguous ending. But uh, yeah, I mean, they all die or maybe she, whatever. Either Even if she's not dead, she's dead inside. Also, I don't really love the mental hospital. It's just like a bed at the end of a long hallway. Like that's not a room. Yeah. That's a fucking hallway. <laughs> like it almost looked like they ran out of rooms and they're like, okay, well, <laughs> put Michael Myers' sister just like in the corner over there. And they're That'll like, be fine. shouldn't we have a door? And like, nah, don't worry about it. Hey man, it's hard to land the plane, but- I'll tell you, I don't want Rob Zombie flying mine. He made a very enjoyable two-thirds of a movie. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's not a great ending. Well, now that you say you don't like it, I do like it. I actually think it's the best. <laughs> 
the best ending to a movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Better than Casablanca. In the original director's cut, Rick gets gunned down by the cops too. I would have never watched this movie again in my life. I just would never have done it. But I only did it for this show, and I'm glad that I did because I think this is the point of your show is to sort of like help people see that some of these failures, right, have some magic in them. Yes. And I will be the first to admit this movie has more magic than I than I originally remembered. That is a huge triumph for Tentpole Trauma. This is a banner day. <laughs> but I don't get the sense that my wife feels the same way. Jen, give your honest thoughts about Halloween 2. Well, it's hard for me not to find something that I liked or good in a film. And it's really hard with this one. You know, I've said what I've liked or and or appreciated along the way. It's so not fun. It feels like an endurance test. That's totally fair. You're not a real horror fan, Jen. This movie's fucking dope. Oh, well, that's <laughs> <laughs> what I say. Here's the interesting sort of take that I'll give you on this. And that is, for whatever weird reason, this movie spoke to me when I first saw it, and I have sort of championed it over the years, obviously, to my wife, but to other people, too. And I've got some people on board with it, which I have seemingly gotten Rodney on board with it. <laughs> However, I will say that unlike a lot of movies we talk about with Tenpole Trauma, this movie hasn't endeared itself to me more and more over the years. I find it a little more difficult to watch every time I come back to it. Maybe I'm getting older and I just don't have the stomach for some of this stuff the way I used to. Although I don't really think that's the case because I think I can handle some pretty brutal shit. It's just I think it has a limited shelf life. I think at some point if you are interested in Rob Zombie's whole sort of vibe and you want a kind of crazy take on the Halloween thing, you will get something out of it. But it's not like a perennial, even though I've made it one. In this case, I would say Halloween 2 has a limited shelf life. You'll find enjoyment in it if you're a super horror fan and you like really horrible, brutal, awful things. But eventually, the stuff about it that doesn't work is going to sort of erode your love for it eventually. Because there's a lot of stuff here that doesn't work. This could have been a way better movie if somebody had just like taken Rob Zombie's first draft of the script and been like, cool, let's do this, but now let's make it better. But they didn't. The movie cost about $16 million to make, and it ended up making worldwide a total of 33 so it ended up making its money back more or less, but the first Rob Zombie Halloween was like a huge hit. It didn't do well at all, and they like canceled the plans for the Halloween 3 sequel that they were going to do. They were going to do another one of these, and they didn't. And what we ended up happening is Blumhouse bought it, and they've rebooted it with their whole thing. So... It definitely was a cinematic failure. Rodney, why do you think this movie failed? That's a really good question. I want to tell you it's because, you know, because of the ghost shit, the ghost, the, the white horse, and he just went too pretentious with it. But, like, people should have been excited, right? Why didn't horror fans turn out? That's what I don't get. I have this memory of when this came out, it, like, not being, like, heavily marketed. I remember seeing the trailer, but I felt like, in my memory, it, it wasn't playing a lot of screens, Maybe I'm totally wrong here. And like memory, you were talking about a memory from like whatever, 12 years ago. I assume word of mouth, right? Like people saw it and they said, fuck this movie. I don't like it. I think there were a lot of people 
who went in thinking they were going to get Rob Zombie's version of Halloween 2 from 1981. And when they got this plus white ghost shit and like, you know, somewhat unlikable character who was probably more likable in the theatrical cut, word of mouth is like, just like, this is not my Michael Myers. Fuck this shit. I didn't like it. So when I left the theater, I fucking told everyone, don't go see Halloween 2. So it's probably my fault. Definitely was your fault. Jen, obviously you didn't like the movie, but like, what do you think objectively do you think was what turned people off? First of all, I did my part. I went and saw this in the theater. Me too. So it's, it's we all not, did. Yeah. It's not yeah. my fault. I think um, Michael Myers not wearing a mask for a good part of it probably was also a turnoff to people. Yes. I don't remember, Rodney, how this was marketed at all, especially during that time. I was probably just seeing whatever horror was coming out and going and seeing it in the theater regardless as a good horror fan does because that's what I am, Rodney. I was teasing. I know. But yeah, it's. I think Sebastian touched on something that I completely agree with. It's not a, a multi-viewing thing that grows, that you grow to love over time. And I think people just didn't like the surrealist stuff they didn't like uh Mike, my, maskless michael myers and it was to piggyback rodney it was word of mouth that killed it i just looked it up i like it opened wide it was on like three thousand screens so like it clearly had a wide release there's no reason they wouldn't have pushed this film hard with the success of the first one it comes down to word of mouth and bad reviews and people were just like i don't like it and then people said i don't want to go see it I agree with everything you guys are saying, but I'm going to add on to that one more factor. And that is that traditionally when you get a sequel to a movie that made a lot of money, that's where you sort of learn how people really felt because when, you know, the movie comes out, it's got a lot of hype, right? It's Rob Zombie doing his Halloween and like tons of people went to see it because that was enough to draw people in and it made a ton of money. But what you didn't really hear was people saying, I loved Rob Zombie's Halloween. Like most people were just like either kind of like, yeah, it was fine. Or they were like, I fucking hated it. And so you have this one coming out two years later because they're like, rush, rush, rush. Let's get a sequel to that super hit Rob Zombie's Halloween. And I think what happened is, yeah, like the trailers made this look like more of the same, but even worse, perhaps, than Rob Zombie's Halloween. And I think a lot of people didn't like Rob Zombie's Halloween, you know, and I think they were just like, fuck that movie. I think that is actually the answer, right? I always wonder, like, why Matrix 3 didn't make as much money as Matrix 2. Because people didn't like Matrix 2. Yep, that's the answer. People saw Halloween and said, I don't want any more of this guy's version. And then combine that with the bad reviews. Yes. Like, if it's Rob Zombie and you're a fan of Rob Zombie, it's it's a very limited group that's going to go and see this again. Like, a lot of people that maybe went to see um, the 2017 Halloween went to see it because it had Jamie Lee back in it or whatever, you know, like there was, there was like nostalgia and people that would see that, that are maybe not necessarily horror fans, but it's just like, it's a, it's a big deal that this is coming out. So like, I feel like you've got a small group of people that were going to show up again. If you're not into Rob Zombie's thing. Well, by bringing up the 20, it was 2018 by bringing up the 2018 Halloween. I think you're, you're going to, we're going to see this now play out again because a lot of people were super excited about that movie because, yeah, Jamie Lee's back. It's this interesting indie director doing it. You know, we're getting rid of all the sequels, blah, 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 blah. All these sort of marketing points to get people into seats to see it. 
now we're going to see how many people actually liked it because the sequel's coming out. I mean, it's going to be a little hard with the sequel because it's being put on streaming too at the same time. So that's going to cut its box office way down. But I'm telling you right now, that movie is not going to do that good in comparison to what the 2018 movie did. I mean, it's pandemic and all of that, but that it's going to be suffering from the same thing that this suffered from was that, yeah, a lot of people liked it, but a lot of people didn't, and they're not going to go see this new one. I think you're mostly right, except because it's a trilogy, I think people have a sort of a need to see it. You know yeah. what I mean? But there's no way Halloween Kills has the same numbers as Halloween 2018. Yeah. No way. I don't think it's going to have as much of a drop off as this one. And regardless, they're already making part three or have already put it in the can. I think they already shot it, right? Or it's, they're shooting Something it, like that, like, yeah. Like it's coming. Next year, Halloween ends is coming. So yeah. if you told me that the same guy that made a Nightmare on Elm Street remake made a part two, I'd still have to go because like I like slasher horror movies. Like I'm in. I'd be driving to the theater yelling at myself to be not be such an idiot. So I don't know who are these people who are like fair weather fans who like skip out on the new Michael Myers movie. Fuck you. It's a Michael Myers <laughs> movie. You go see it. You go see it and then you bitch about it later. As a horror fan, you're definitely going to see it. I th I'm sure there's no horror fans out there that haven't eventually seen this movie, but they didn't go opening weekend. Yeah, that's a valid point. But we did. I fully admit it. I'm a Michael Myers mark. You put that dumb fucking mask on somebody and <laughs> I am there. I will see the movie. I am a guaranteed viewer. So I know I'm powerless against it, but I think some people have had enough. Real fans will show up for Michael Myers. They'll keep showing up. Rodney, I'll have you know that I had this earmarked to have you on the show for a whole year. Like oh, yeah. last year, oh, wow. when we, you were on our first podcast, I was like, next Halloween, I want to do Halloween 2 with Rodney. So this is a year in the making. I'm honored. And uh, man, time flies. It would have sucked if you were like, eh, I can't do any podcasts at all in October. Sorry. <laughs> no, man, I got I have no friends. I've got nothing to do. <laughs> it's always been you, Rodney. It's always been you. <laughs> Although I thought you would be like, fuck you, I hate this movie. That's how I felt when I went to go watch it again. I genuinely was like, in my mind, I was like, I hate this fucking movie. I can't wait to rant about it. But like, I, I want listeners to know that I don't just rant. I really am judging the movie based on the movie. And to me, this movie was just, I'm not saying it's a good movie. Please don't understand that. I just think that it's doing something different. And if you can kind of just like appreciate it for what it is, there is a lot of cool shit here. And I can't say that about a lot of movies, especially on Temple Trauma, right? <laughs> a lot of these things are pretty painful. But like, hey, Rob Zombie made like a really fucking violent Michael Myers film. And it like retroactively made me realize how cool some of his, the shit he's making is compared to like, I don't want to point fingers, but there are some other Michael Myers films that are kind of like a really big letdown compared to this movie. This movie at least delivers the thing I came to see. You go to see these movies to see a man in a mask murder people. No one's here to really watch the story of Laurie Strode become a better person. <laughs> Don't pretend like you're not a sick, you're not a sicko. You just want to watch people get murdered. You know it's true because if Michael Myers only murdered one person in the course of the film, that'd be the number one complaint everyone would be saying. He only kills one guy. And Rob Zombie was like, what if he kills everybody? And it's like really violent. What if he even kills Octavia Spencer and it, like and you you feel it like you feel like you're being stabbed? Bravo, Rob Zombie. Bravo. <laughs> 
All right, well, I'm going to go make myself some PG tips sizzling hot and <laughs> see a white horse and uh, maybe go have sex with a wolf man in a shagging wagon. <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon. (laughs) 